Hey, welcome back everybody to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Uh, we are back again, myself, Rich, and my co-host, Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, lovely. Uh, you know, we've had a lot, we've had a few days here to recover from uh, the United States, uh, somewhat <laughs> disappointing performance on Saturday, so uh, I'm feeling better than I did after the game, and uh, other than that, I mean, I'm not too excited to talk about it and relive that game, but uh we must do what we must do, right? Um, so, for sure, for sure. What are you we, gonna do? We will, we will get into that, and we will cover all of the the round of sixteen games, and then take a look ahead to our quarterfinals. Uh, we got some big breaking news for the podcast, Joe. Do you want to share with our listeners? Yes, we forgot to mention this on uh, our inaugural podcast, as you know, rookies do, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, if anyone has any feedback that they like to send to us, please reach out. Uh, the email address that you can send your wonderful email, whether you hate everything we say <laughs> or love every word, which I highly doubt. The email address is the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. And please, if even if you just hate us, send us a lovely note telling us how awful and terrible we are. It's probably warranted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe at the end of the day, we'll find some common ground, right? Exactly. And if, if anyone has any, uh, we've been thinking about some intro music, outro music. So if anyone's got any recommendations or requests, feel free to email those in as well. And we can uh, try and get that set up and not break too many copyright laws along the way. Um, we'll, hopefully we have at least one lawyer listening that can uh, dig our ways out of trouble if we need it. Um, so yeah, uh, we will uh, get straight into the round of 16. Joe, we will uh, go in order of as these games happened, which means you can kind of rip the band-aid off and we can go straight into the, the USA-Netherlands game. Uh, I'll let you have the floor to kick this one off. You know, the first eight minutes were pretty good, right? <laughs> um, so I think going into this match, actually, the funny thing was I, I was actually concerned a little bit. Like, what happens if the U.S. scores a goal first too early? What happens, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost happened. Chris, Christian Pulisic had an you know, a grade A chance uh, in the third minute to score and just uh, wasn't able to finish. Um, and it just kind of all went downhill from there. Um, and I think I think the first goal and the fact that this is the first time in any point in this World Cup that the U.S. was trailing after that early beautiful counterattack by the Dutch that, you know, Memphis Depay finished off. Um, I, I just think the U.S. not being not you know being acclimated to being down a goal against such a great opposition to, uh, like the Netherlands, I think they just kind of panicked. So mm. I think you know similar to how they they played against you know England they, in the England game they they played very well they kind of dominated possession but they were very meticulous and they didn't leave themselves exposed. And I think in this game because they were down a goal and they felt the need to score. They just left themselves too exposed at the back, and you know that's you know that's not surprising with a young team. And you know the the Dutch didn't necessarily have an abundance of chances, but they were always in control of the game state. And the U.S. was never really able to. They created a few chances and a few great chances, but it wasn't consistent. And the whole time the Dutch were able to quickly counterattack. And I think a large part of that is the two. Um, wing backs the U.S. played Aaron, um, Anthony Robinson and uh, Serginho Dest they just I think they became a little too attacking and too inward and it allowed the Dutch to kind of attack them um, with an outside ball 
and then quickly get that into the box. Uh, and they obviously finished off on a few occasions. And I think the other thing, too, that was disappointing was how poor, um, and I'm sure you notice this is a neutral, how poor the U.S. Uh, just marking was on a couple <laughs> of those goals. I mean, uh, Dumfries could have, like, set up a campfire uh, on the third goal. He was just kind of camped out there with nobody there, had his hand waving. You could tell Matt Turner was like, what the hell? What is it? You know, and it was just uh, just shocking defending and just uh, a few shocking lapses on defense. And uh, Tyler Adams has obviously gotten some blame for it, and I understand that. I think he missed a few guys, but I just think the whole the whole team just, like, you know, backtracking and – getting back into defensive uh, formation, I think was lacking. Um, and I think what you saw brilliantly with what the, the Netherlands set up and Louis van Hall did was, you know, he pressured the United States, you know, when he said, you know, you know, you know, you know, there's not going to be easy passes. Right. And he really put the pressure on the two center backs, uh, Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman to make passes. And they're just, that's not the kind of defenders they are. And so the U.S. was unwilling to go over the top, and they kept trying to break through the, the you know, the Dutch press, and it just was not working. Um, and in the U.S., the, you know, they started Jesus Ferreira, uh, you know, up front as a striker, but he's not really someone who, um, he, he's like a false nine almost. He's he's not going to try. He's going to try and come back for the ball. He's not very going to go out and create more space. And so I just think, you know, the way the, way the Dutch played, the U.S. just they didn't really seem to have any way of breaking down the Dutch. And I just felt like, although it's kind of frowned upon nowadays, I think sometimes <laughs> you just have to go long. Right. You just have to, if the defense is coming up, you have to go long and you have to try and make a play. Yeah. And, you know, you have Pulisic, you have way, there, there were still guys up front that could do it. And um, I, I just felt like that was um, disappointing. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I could go on, but I, I want <laughs> you to get here too. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think I'm probably not as hard on the team as you are um, as a neutral. I think they they played all right. I think uh, the biggest difference really was the finishing. Like you say, the Dutch. It wasn't like the Dutch were knocking on the door the whole game. Um, yeah, they scored three goals, but those are like the three real tra- chances they had, and they took them. And that clinical finishing was really the difference here. I think you mentioned Pulisic missing the opportunity very early on. Part of me thinks he thought he was offside and i don't know whether he kind of like half switched off or whether he just didn't finish it very well but uh, i think that was a big opportunity there was a couple of other opportunities early in the second half and they just didn't have that final product and that was really the difference that every time the dutch had a real opportunity they took it and they got the three goals and to score just before half time i think was a killer blow to double the lead i think if you hold on till like one nil until until the half then i think you you can come out the second half and it's it's less of a mountain to climb uh you can turn that game around a lot quicker but i think uh yeah that was a killer blow and then yeah i think like i say i don't think the u.s played terribly um i think the dutch we kind of have underrated through this tournament and a lot of people have uh but the way they they took the chances the first two goals were basically carbon copies of each other um yeah and that will take that will probably disrupt most back lines and they will be able to if they take those chances and they're hitting a target uh like they did in this game you know there's no reason why they can't keep progressing and keep winning games because then they've got the defense that you know they get a lead and then they can just dictate the game from there because they've got a strong yep. strong defense that they can just shut the other team down um 
and like you say it's really hard to then break them down and especially when you're chasing the game and then they can quickly hit you on the break have that clinical finishing uh and yeah it's it's looking good but overall i think uh i like i say i don't think i'm as on hot as hard as on the us as as maybe you are but it's definitely yeah. lacking that striker and if they had someone um i don't know who it would be um but you put anyone who can kind of finish up there maybe it's a different story the one thing i'll say on that point is I think that was kind of the funny line that we all say, oh, if we just had, you know, Harry Kane or, <laughs> you know, Lewandowski or Sir Strikey here, we'd be phenomenal. But I do think this game did kind of reveal some some additional flaws with the United States team. Um, you know, it's not just a striker, just the ability to create chances, the, create, mm-hmm. the ability to win press, create possession, and be able to, you know, have a great over-the-top ball, right? right, that first ball. Um, so I think we, you know, we missed Gio Reyna. Where was he? You know, he came in in the 46th minute and was playing with his, you know, 60 yards away from goal with his <laughs> back to goal. That's that's not the preferred role for him. So, yeah. um, and, and the other thing I too want, I want to say too is, you know, in America we have this kind of nonsense where we try to say, oh, if only we had these basketball players or these football players <laughs> playing soccer, where would we be? And I think like what this game against Netherlands showed is, you know, the United States was, was the more athletic team. You know, mm-hmm. the athleticism is not the United States problem. Yeah. It's the inability to be clinical and, and finish. And, and you saw that with, you know, Memphis Depay and Daly Blin and Dumfries, they all finished beautifully yeah. um, clinically, you know, how they're taught and steeped in a tradition, you know, a wonderful footballing tradition that the Dutch have. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's just a wake up call. Like as great as the U S is, you know, you know, as successful as the world cup has been, you know, getting out of the group, not, you know, conceding one goal, mm-hmm. um, you know, not losing, right, up until this game. I think that's, you know, there's there's definitely a good thing, and it, it's definitely a successful World Cup for the U.S., but I do think this game kind of just picked out a few flaws that we know they had, you know, you know, you know, I don't want to get too hard on Berhalter, but he, it wasn't his greatest hour. I mean, mm-hmm. there was quotes from Louis Van Gaal after the game saying, like, uh, it was pretty easy just to, you know, the, <laughs> the, the U.S. played right into their hands, you know. Right. So I think that uh, I think obviously the lack of the striker, uh, we still see that. Um, I think and just like like I said, just being more clinical and just continuing to raise the bar of of, of U.S. soccer, right? And I think the 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 disadvantage the U.S. has being in Concacaf is they just don't play as good opposition as the Netherlands are right. uh, on a continual basis. I mean, really. Unless it's a friendly, which we know how friendlies are, mm-hmm. the only teams that the U.S. play that are really good are Mexico and Canada, uh, you know, in Nations League or the Gold Cup. So I just think, um, you know, you need you need games like these because right. you need to learn what you're like in certain situations, how to adapt, and you know, this is a young team with a young manager, and you know, we'll you know we can maybe get into later if he'll be back or not, but. I think that this is just kind of this. This isn't a surprising result for the team like the U.S. And I don't want to. And I, I don't think you should be, you know, overly discouraged by it. But I just do think it's a wake-up call to say like, we're here. It's a good spot. You know, we're back from the depths of 2018 in Trinidad, but we still have a long way to go. Right. And I think, I think the we touched on this, and you've just touched on it again there the youth is is definitely on their side it's definitely a, a young squad that the most of these pieces should still be around for the next world cup and even beyond that so i think it's uh like you say it's good for them to get this experience get the major tournament under their belts so that they can kind of drive on from this um another thing that i really thought was lacking was the set pieces and i just think pulisic's crossing yep. was terrible 
and even when then there was a cross there was just no height They're like i don't even know who he's aiming for right like who is the guy that's gonna have that big head right on, uh especially when you're playing the likes of van dyke in the back and nathan Aki, who have got some kind of strength and height to them um it would any time it was like i don't you just as soon as they got a corner it's like well they're not going to score from this right like no. uh it was just kind of uh yeah it, it was kind of lacking in there but um i think it's i think the future is is good um you know i joke when people keep saying this about like all oh, the all the prime athletes play the big american sports but you know i don't think a 300 pound defensive lineman is going to make the difference in this game so if those are the athletes you're missing i like you say i don't think there was there was much lost um and yeah they were able to run for the 90 minutes it wasn't that and i think kind of to wrap this up i, I think the dutch were flattered by a 3-1 scoreline as a neutral i don't think um like i think the dutch deserved to win but 3-1 in the end uh, I think the, the game was a little bit more balanced. Uh, it was just they took those those three key chances and uh, were able to finish off the game. So, do you have any? Uh, who's your winner or winners from this from this tie? Uh, well, you know, I'm gonna go with Daily Blind as my winner because um, <laughs> we were. I mean, he was kind of getting slagged off as like the weak spot uh, because of his age, and you know, the U.S. could just attack him, attack him, and you know, with Sergio Dias up the right side. Um, and, uh, you know, that didn't really come to fruition so much. And, you know, of course, what does he do right before half? And he uh, nets, a, nets the second goal that really kind of killed off the game. So yeah. um, I have to give him, you know, his due. Um, we thought he'd be a weakness, his, you know, <laughs> slow at, slow and, and steady. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he showed up and he did great. So I can't really uh, say too much about it. For sure, I've got a uh, I got Dumfries as my winner. He got the two assists in the first half, and then really killed off the game when he got his goal in the second half. And I think he just had a great game out wide, um, looked dangerous every time he had the ball. Um, and like I say, two good assists, perfectly passed, just to have someone just basically pick their spot in the net and, and tuck it away. So he's my winner there. How about a loser for you in this tie? Uh, you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder here, but I'm gonna go with Lars Knudsen. <laughs> who is the uh, United States men's national team set piece coach? Um, what the hell was he doing? Uh, there was no imagination. Uh, you know, they're not the tallest guys in the world. You would think, you know, maybe take a short, maybe try some some different things. And uh, he was just a total zero. So I'm gonna, whether fair or unfair, I have to give it to Lars Knudsen. Fair enough. I've got uh, Christian Pulisic as my loser here. Um, it Ouch. could be it could be a case of. There's too much weight on his shoulders. People expect too much of him. And, like, you know, he can't be creating and scoring every chance. He's got to be doing one or the other. And it needs a cast around him. But I don't know. Was he fully fit? But his his delivery, and I going back to the set pieces, keep banging on that drum, like, it was just poor. And half the time it was just wasted. He couldn't even beat the first man with his crosses. Um, probably a bit harsh on him. Uh, he's yeah, he's we, a good can player. We veto, can we veto? I think we veto. <laughs> But I think I think if it like if we're looking at losers like he's got to be one of them. Uh, yeah, it's probably that might be making me very unpopular with our listeners, especially our North American wow. listeners. But I I don't think he had the best game. He had that chance early on. He could have scored. Uh, that changes the whole complexion of the game. He didn't take that chance, and then uh, yeah, like I say, maybe not to his own fault. But I think uh, I was expecting a little more. 
Okay, let's move on yeah. to uh, <laughs> let's move on to our second game, which was Argentina versus Australia. Uh, Argentina obviously progressing here, but I think uh, the Socceroos really made a good name for themselves. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so I think on paper this was kind of like the most one-sided um, game going into the round of sixteen. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way, um, but at the same time, I don't. You know, I don't. I think the scoreline. I think you mentioned previously the three-one flattered the Netherlands. I think the scoreline rarely flatters the Australians. <laughs> um, you know, I think they didn't play poorly per se, but it was really just kind of. There wasn't like they could do much really. I mean, the Argentinians just are just so outclassed them, right? Uh, in the midfield, and obviously uh, with Lionel Messi up front, and so like if the Australian coach is really, you know, and you know. <laughs> there's really not uh, there's not like a, a bevy of ways you can go about this, right? right. You're going to have to sit back. You're going to have to play tight. You're going to have to hope that maybe you score a goal. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, if I was if I put myself in Graham Arnold's shoes, you know, the Australian coach, there's really not much I would have done differently. <laughs> you just have to hope that it works, you know. And I thought, you know, they started off well. Um, kind of put the Argentinians a little bit on their back foot the first maybe 10, 15 minutes. But then, as we expected, Argentina kind of controlled it. And, look, you know, we, 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 you know, you see how the game went, uh, you know, Messi with, a, you know, a great finish. And, you know, it was just a workmanlike performance. I think the second Austra- uh, Argentina game, I think we all thought it was over at that point uh, when Alvarez scored. Um, and then what happened? <laughs> you know, that Australian goal, I guess – they marked it down as an own goal, but uh, just one of the more bizarre goals you ever see. If, if you didn't get a chance to watch this game, uh, you're not going to see too many goals go in like the Australian goal went in. Uh, so, you know, that got him back in. And, and you know what? It was a really fun last 10 minutes. You know, the Australians really attacking forward. I think the Argentinians were kind of like, you know, taken aback. Like, how how they score for, in the first place? And, you know, now we're just kind of defending for their lives. And, you know, I, I forget. I think maybe it was Green. I forget who on the Australians. But he had a just a point-blank chance that he missed. And, you know, that would have been amazing to, to tie it up and have this game going to over um, – to uh you know extra, extra time, time but yeah. uh you know i, I think look the australia's never expected to get out of the group <laughs> they did they 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 you know they they went up against messi and argentina and you know they were outclassed in many ways but they fought they fought they fought and you know what they almost nicked something at the end yeah. um so yeah i think yeah, uh I think at the the end of the day, the star power prevailed, right? Like, I think uh, mm-hmm. Messi has... You didn't really notice he was playing, and then within two seconds, he's got the goal uh, and just shows his class very quickly and how he can kind of turn that on pretty quickly. Uh, the keeper error obviously leads to, to the second goal, uh, but it was coming from good pressing from the Argentines. They weren't letting Australia really even build out from the back, so uh, it's a tough goal to concede, but... Again, it was Argentina's class really that that put that pressure on to force the error, and and then it was a nice finish, kind of back to goal, just twisting it in. Um, yeah, the deflected goal. I'm pretty sure it's probably going out for a throw in. Uh, somehow, just like it just goes in out of nowhere, it puts them back into it. And I think the only the only kind of place that maybe Australia had a bit of 
the upper hand was was their height. They've obviously just been talked yep. to throughout the, the tournament that they're quite a tall team, and obviously Argentinians don't have a ton of height. So set pieces, there was always a threat, but never really a threat at the same time. Um, but yeah, I think uh, this, it was closer than it probably needed to be for Argentina, um, but they definitely deserved the win and, and controlled the majority of the game. But like you said, made for a fun last 10 minutes. At least it was uh, still competitive, unlike a, a couple of the games we're going to get into. Um, it was it was fun to watch right up until the end. Uh, so how about uh, your, your winner for this tie? Uh, I'm just going to go with the Socceroos. I think... Uh... You know, they added so much to this tournament. You know, we've seen the videos down in Australia of them celebrating uh, vociferously <laughs> at the early morning hours. And I just think they've, um, you know, it's fun to have a Aussie team um, and a non-continental team make a, make a little bit of a run here. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to give it to them. You? Yeah, I'm going to continue uh, my theme from last episode and give it to Messi again. His kind of fairy tale oh. continues for his uh, predictable <laughs> i'm nothing but predictable at the end of the oh. day uh but i think he he's he showed his like i say he he wasn't really in the game turns it on for two seconds gets a goal he's uh is he gonna go out with a world cup victory it's still on the cards uh so Let's I, gotta hope go not. With, <laughs> I gotta go with Messi here how about a loser for you um this was a tough one but i'm gonna have to say it myself because uh, <laughs> I, I did not expect australia at any point um, to, to get out of the group, I I really thought they were one of the two or three worst teams, you know, just based on one I had seen from qualifying and stats and story I was reading. And lo and behold, they're in the round of 16, and they almost had a chance to go to extra time with Argentina, even if it was against the grain of play. I just, um, you know, I, I did not see this coming uh, at all. And mm-hmm. so, just fair play to them, and uh, you know, got to take this one. <laughs> right in the gullet because i uh did not see this coming you uh, i've got the aussie keeper ryan uh like i said he made the mistake it was good pressure but as you mentioned their kind of their whole game plan was basically let's not make any mistakes and see if we can squeak something but then that error put put the argentines two up and he's probably gonna have nightmares about that five seconds for a long time um sometimes you just got to clear the ball even if it comes straight back it's a lot better to come straight back from the halfway line than within the six yard box where someone can just score um so i think it's uh, been a, sorry, it's been a rough year for matt ryan's it's been a rough yeah. year for matt ryan's. <laughs> exactly uh maybe they would have been better off with the other matt ryan uh, uh, i don't know about that but well, at least he'd probably throw it a bit further who yeah, knows i guess they'd, they'd have to get into a throwing contest i don't know if matt ryan these days for as far but um yeah i think like i say i think their game plan was let's let's just not make any mistakes and, and that was obviously a big one so that being said we will move on to france versus poland uh your thoughts on this one uh this this was an odd game uh for a bit here um you know um i was very surprised with how the polish came out <laughs> um, you know, we saw them in the group and they were just so dour and, and didn't really create much other than against Saudi Arabia. Um, and even in that game, I thought Saudi Arabia kind of looked like the better team at no large chunks of that game. Um, but, um, you know, the Polish rallied, um, you know, they played, you know, really great for 30 minutes. They played high tempo pressing, kind of pushed the French back a bit, um, and that worked for about, like I said, 30, 35 minutes. And then uh, 
the French onslaught came in. <laughs> you know, look, I mean, this isn't quite to the extreme of Australia, Argentina, but, you know, the French just have so much more skill and, and quality in their squad. I mean, you know, this team, I mean, you keep having to tell yourself, this is a team that is, you know, Benzema is out. <laughs> Golo Kante is out. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pogba is out, and this is still the quality of team that they have. It's just un, un you know, it's almost unprecedented, and um, I think it's just an incredible swath of talent. And then what did we see here? I think we saw the key talent, uh, <laughs> Kylian Mbappe, just just take over this this second half, especially. Um, you know, Giroud got the goal to end the half, and I think that's kind of been a storyline. You know, we talked about it with the U.S. Netherlands. We'll talk about it with England, Senegal, and then this game. Like the the goal right before half seemed yeah. to happen a lot, and uh, you know, Giroud um, with the assist from Kylian Mbappe and a nice finish. Um, but really, Mbappe with you know the second and third goal just just magical you know it's you know that's kind of the beauty of football you know we talk about you know the beautiful game well that that was on full display there um just the the athleticism the how clinical he was you know bringing defenders on creating enough space and then just just firing a rocket and, and then doing that a second time uh to really kill off the game i just it's just so incredible when you see a talent like that in full bloom. And obviously he's leading the golden boot. Now he has a two goal lead on about eight or nine guys. And, you know, you just, you know, it was just, um, it was just beautiful to see, you know, really, it just, you know, if you could just, you know, any YouTube highlight, you know, why do, why do people love soccer? Or just, <laughs> just watch Mbappe play and attack up front. And it's just uh, so glorious to see. Yeah, I think he uh, he's going to break some records if he stays healthy. Uh, he's already, you know, outscored some of the greats in World Cups in, in his second outing. Um, he's just, yeah, it was mad, like you say, magical goals. Um, looked great. Uh, I think I think France may have looked shaky at times, but no real kind of nothing to really worry about. Um, but and we can get into that when we look ahead to their next round game. But. Uh, yeah, I know there was some heartbreak with the the penalty at the end, with various people having various bets that, that kind of cost people a lot of money. Uh, the ninety seventh minute penalty that was missed and then retaken oh. and then scored. Um, it's it's a nice way for Lewandowski to to say goodbye to the tournament. He's like he's one of the the greats around the world, and I, we talked about this in the group stage. He's really playing uh, on his own in that team a lot of the time, and especially when they set out to just kind of leave him up there to, to run around and chase anything that they're hoofing up to him. Uh, he's not in, in the best setup for, for the quality they hear. So kind of nice for him to get the goal. Uh, penalties, we'll get more into penalties as we, we hit the games that went to a shootout. But I don't know. I, I feel like something needs to change with this whole stuttering and stopping and starting. But did they really stop? And I just think uh, it's giving the, the keepers such little chance and then it's the keeper that then is penalized because he moves too soon and he steps like half a foot across the line and you know it, i just feel like there's so much advantage in the the penalty takers side uh that it, they need to kind of change this or um at least revisit it uh but yeah who are your your winners unless you want to have uh any say on the the stutter penalty uh, well i think the winner for me i'm just going to be very basic here and go killing mbappe you yeah i had him i've also got Giroud. he uh did he yep. tie or he broke uh Henri's record so um which i think uh, incredible incredible 
I think a lot of that is uh, Benzema's had a bit of a troubled relationship with the French team um, and yeah. has probably kept him out of squads and obviously Giroud is the one that gets to step in. Um, but, you know, he's still got to then score when he's playing and he has. Um, so, you know, to set those records and uh, he's definitely someone that has bloomed later in his age, in his career. Um, and yeah, I think that's great for him. So I think he's my winner here. How about the, uh, the loser for you? Uh, I'm going to go with Robert Lewandowski, as you mentioned, that penalty. I mean, just awful. Uh, I, I may have been somebody who had a bit of a wager on uh, France to win uh, at nil, uh, you know, and that was looking great for 90 minutes and seven, you know, seven minutes at the stoppage time. And uh, that's a god-awful penalty. Uh, you know, I guess it was the right call off his hand. It, you know, it was a handball, but – you know, Hugo Lloris coming off his line, and it was just terrible. And there's about 20 guys in the box early, too. But that's because Lewandowski's run-up and the garbage run-up that he took, as you mentioned. Yeah. And just frustrating. But, uh, you know, look, good for him, I guess, to score finally. Uh, well, I guess <laughs> it's his second goal now. He's did score against Saudi Arabia. But um, very frustrating to lose a bet uh, in, in a meaningless fashion like that. You? Yeah. And just to touch on that, I think uh, there should be some ref's discretion that if, like, the penalty is really bad anyway, like, don't let him have another chance. <laughs> like, it was such a bad penalty. Like, why are you giving, like, why are you rewarding that with another chance? Like, he doesn't deserve it. Um, but my loser, again, my predictability, I'm going to go with Kareem Benzema again, uh, as I did in the group stages. Uh, he is not in the squad, and the squad is just fine. Uh, like I say, Giroud is, France is now top scorer. Um, he's, he's scoring goals, and Bappy looks unstoppable uh so do they need benzema and he's gonna quickly get forgotten about um especially if they they keep progressing in this tournament so i'm gonna go with benzema again but on that we will move on to england versus senegal which uh i'll, I'll dive into this first i think uh I, i'm not gareth southgate's biggest fan he doesn't have a lot of fans sometimes people like to criticize him he's it's quite easy to criticize but i think he just got it spot on yet again um good performance you know again couple of wobbles at the back but when harry Maguire's in the team it's never going to be plain sailing um once they went one up that was it for this game in my opinion it didn't really look uh look like anything was going to change senegal may have had kind of the best chances leading into the 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 first goal from england but yeah i i don't think they were ever really threatened in this game and uh it was just a good good performance from a good squad and again they just look powerful one of the only teams to keep a a clean sheet in this round of 16 um again when you got harry Maguire, you feel like that's a bit of a handicap and you know they're not they're not letting in a lot of goals this england team uh you know the only goals they've let in are two two kind of meaningless goals against iran uh so that's always always nice to have under your belt as well what are your thoughts on this one all right, so would you say, you know, because the first 30 minutes Senegal dominated, what were your what were your impressions of that first 30 minutes um, if you were looking at it from an English perspective? I think my first thoughts were, like, if Saudi Mane was playing, this is probably, like, 1 or 2 nil already. Um, I think they kind of, they missed him. They didn't really miss him in the group stages as much. I think he, uh, they missed his, his kind of finishing. Um, we've talked a lot about, clinical finishing versus inability to finish they had some pretty clear-cut chances early on and if if manny's there and it falls to him i think he uh he tucks one of those in the back of the net and it's a different story um 
but England weathered the storm and I think that's that's what they've always done this team it's like even if if they're not fully in the game they don't let the game get away from them um they manage to stick in it they keep the clean sheet they keep the goals out even if they are letting up chances and then you know they, they then get the goal and then it's able to go right into their hands and, and they can dictate play and they can dominate from there um but yeah, I, I once once it's one 0 that was it, and that came from nowhere. That was uh, similar to the Dutch goal against USA, counter attack, swift passing, and just a, a, a good team goal, and again just clinical. And and that's kind of a common theme as we've seen uh, through a couple of these games. That that is really the difference that these teams that are expected to do well are doing well because when they get a chance, they take it and then they don't look back and then their their kind of prowess and power really pushes through and and causes problems for other teams to get back in um so beyond 30 minutes how did you feel the game went oh it was uh, it was you know when, when you know the old adage a goal changes everything i, I don't think there's ever been a better example <laughs> of that than this this match i mean uh, incredible juxtaposition between the first 30 minutes and the rest of the the game i mean and of all people Jordan Henderson uh, to be the first one to finish it, kind of incredible, uh, I would say. Um, and it, you know, I think kind of a somewhat surprise addition. I, I didn't mind it, uh, you know, Southgate starting with him, even though it appeared a bit defensive. Um, but um, you know, I think obviously it panned out. I mean, he just made a brilliant run. Um, and then you know, Harry Kane and Saka, obviously. I thought Phil Foden was did well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, that was a surprising point. You know, Southgate not starting him in the first two games, finally letting him start against, well, uh, Wales in the final game. Yeah. And then, you know, I thought he, I thought he, he showed well as well again here. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it was like, you know, like, like you said, a goal changes everything. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, you can't do that against France if you want right. to, you know, as we, you know, we'll obviously talk that in depth uh, a little bit later on, but. I think, you know, we saw the class of, of Harry Kane not just being able to finish, but also creating um, just such a versatile number nine. Declan Rice, I thought, was, was quite solid in this. Uh, Luke Shaw doesn't, hasn't, you know, doesn't get much acclaim, but I thought he, he played very well in this, you know, game. Um, you know, I still have my questions about Pickford, but, hey, <laughs> if you don't give up a goal, you don't give up a goal. And, you know, look, I think the English did what they had to do. They won. They won quite easily. Um, you know, they were able to get some substitutes on fairly early. You know, Saka and Foden came off uh, just after 60. You know, then, you know, Bellingham, Stones, and Henderson came off later on as well. So I think, you know, I thought it was a good performance. Obviously, you know, you went 3-0. You dominate, the, you know, the last 10 minutes of the first half and the second half. You have to be pleased with that. Um, obviously the level of opposition is, is rapidly increasing, mm-hmm. uh, going into the quarterfinal, but I think, you know, you, you have to be satisfied. I think Southgate has some interesting decisions on who he wants to start, um, in the quarterfinal against France, but you know, the English, you know, this is, this is how the world cup should go. They should <laughs> be like in the quarterfinals almost every time. Yeah. This is the talent they should, you know. With these other quality teams, this is this is where they should be. They should be in the knockout stages, and they should be winning, and that's what they did here. So, uh, hats off to them. Yeah, and I think it was I think it was Alan Shearer or one of those BBC pundits wrote wrote an article on the BBC Sport website, and he was saying that basically all the all the England problems they have right now are good problems, right? Like you've got 
who are we going to play? And it's not the same. Like, I think in past, when you look at the whole, can Gerard and Lampard play together? And that was like a bad problem because it never really seemed to work and it always just became a story. Whereas this time it's really, okay, do I start Foden? But if I don't, I've got someone who can sit there and, and do just as good. And it's not quite the, it's not the conflict. It's, it's like I say, it's, it's all positive problems of, yeah, we've got some depth. And, you know, if I need to bring someone on after an hour to change a game, I've got those people on the bench and I've got those players in a game that can can turn it on his head. Like I say, I think Bellingham uh, was, was great for the first goal and he just turned it on then. And like you say, that really shifted the game uh, into, into the England's hands. And they've just got, so much depth right now um it's as, as someone who doesn't necessarily want them to win all the time it's it's hard to not really root for them at this point like they've got some some great players and they actually play pretty watchable football apart from the uh the, the u.s game which i think was a pretty poor performance i think they've uh they played good football against wales senegal and iran and fun football attacking football for all the kind of comments around southgate being pretty defensive yeah, apart from the US game, they scored six, three, and three. So that's 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 not too defensive um, in my books. And it's not like they went one nil up and then sat on that. They still then pushed and they got a couple more goals. And they really do like to kill off teams. And I think that's changed from from England of old as well, who would get a goal and be always thought the other team could find a way back in. Whereas they're a lot better now at just killing off these games as soon as they get a lead and just taking control, getting more goals and and. Yeah, just just pushing on. So, who is your your winner of this game? Uh, I talked about. It. I'm going to go Jordan Henderson. I think you know we know what he can do defensively um, in the midfield, but just just a brilliant run and the finish as well was fine. It was solid. He got the job done, and uh, you know he gets some some slack, especially from me. <laughs> but um, you know he, he showed up. He, a brilliant run, like as I mentioned uh, numerous times now. So uh, he'll be my uh, winner. <laughs> of this match you yeah we should probably talk about this ahead of time because i also had jordan henson uh <laughs> i think you, like you say people were questioning his selection and he just comes up big uh but because we've already talked about him i'm gonna go with jude bangham uh a lot of hype around him and and i think this game was probably one of his best um the iran game as well uh he just showed his class for a young guy playing in midfield um just had the ability to to change the game get the counter-attack going and, and just set up the goal and it was just big. How about a loser in this one for you? I guarantee you, you will not have the same one here. <laughs> okay. I'm going to the Senegalese midfielder slash forward, Pepe Matassar, because he is a player for Tottenham Hotspur. He has not played a minute all year. He played 45 minutes against England and he's not going to play again unless he gets loaned out in January. So he will be my loser because he's going right back to the bench. You? I, I touched on this early in talking about this game. I think it's Sadio Mane. Um, I think he's probably sitting at home, uh, you know, jumping around his living room or wherever he's watching this, like trying to, as if he's there, trying to finish some of these chances. And I think uh, the them missing him and him getting injured just before the tournament didn't it really caught up with them in this game. It hadn't to this point. Um, with the, the clinical finishing and just having someone who has played in big games, you know, he's played in Champions League finals. He knows what these occasions can be like, and he he would probably have been a bit more calm under some of the pressure and and maybe kept Senegal in the game or even taken the lead. So I'm going to go with Sadio Mane. And I do want to mention just before we move on, um, just you know Raheem Sterling, just a awful situation mm-hmm. uh, with the burglary of his home, and he had to you know he went back to England, and I hope. Uh, 
everything is, is okay in that situation, he can get back because um, he can make a, a big difference uh, against the French if he's able to uh, to make that game. Yeah, 100%. And uh, just uh, going back to something you said about Jordan Pickford as well and like, being concerned about him, if you ever want a fun kind of rabbit hole on YouTube is just YouTube Jordan Pickford and just look at how angry he always is at playing football. It looks like someone is forcing him into a career he doesn't want to be in. He is just constantly unhappy and it's hilarious to watch because it's usually when England are doing well. I think there was a whole montage made of, of the last Euros when obviously they get to the final um, and just how angry he was in every game, every situation. And, you know, he makes a good save and for some reason he's still kicking the post. So if anyone's something lighthearted, just uh, watch some wow. YouTube videos of Jordan Pickford. If you had to play for Frank Lampard, you'd feel the same way. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, we will move on to Japan versus Croatia. Um, we had this, or I had this as as one of the kind of fun games going into this round, and I, I think it delivered. I enjoyed it anyway. Um, I thought Japan were were really positive in this game. Their passing was really slick, especially the goal was a well deserved goal just before halftime, um, and their passing for it was just kind of one quick one touch passing around and and then a nice finish, and then. You know, Croatia, different to the other games where we've seen goals just before the break, they get a they get right back into it um, after the break, after after Japan had scored just before the break. And uh, I thought at that point maybe Croatia would, would push on, but they never did. And we ended up going the distance, extra time, penalties. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, like I think you mentioned, I think this is probably the closest of all eight matches. Um, you know, I just thought it was, a, it was a fun game. You know, the Japanese play was such you know enthusiasm and um they're just very clinical um they're very resolute defensively and i just think it's a it's a tough nut to crack i mean we saw them beat germany and spain from a goal down um so we knew this was going to be a tough test obviously we know how good croatia was after their run in 2018 and Oddly enough, in the round of 16 against Denmark in 2018, <laughs> they won penalties and they did so against the Japanese here. Um, you know, I think I think you know, there's not too much to say that you didn't say here. Um, I, you know, obviously you can get into the penalties; they were just just clinical, <laughs> and you know, the Japanese uh, penalties were less great. Um, you know, <laughs> to put it mildly, yeah. uh, you know, and, and but you know that that's you know when we talk about you know experience right that's when it comes down to i mean so many you know especially when it comes to penalties um these are guys who usually don't take penalties for their teams you know mm -hmm. only one or two probably do and you just saw just the pressure and you know mm -hmm. people will make fun of oh how do you end a game with penalties well you know maybe it's not the greatest way but after 120 minutes after you're 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 tired you know you, you've laid it all out the law you have to summon the intestinal fortitude to finish what you should finish, you know, a penalty shot and the world, the weight of the world, your team, all your expectations, all your hopes, all your dreams, just, it all comes converging in that moment. And then you have to push through it and you have to hit a good, you know, just have to hit the ball through it and finish it. doesn't matter you know, if you do a panega, if you go low and hard, if you go, you know, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You get it on target and you score. That's the key, obviously. And, um, you know, the, the Croatians did that tremendously. I think, um, you know, I think it was, a, it was a, it was a quality game. I think obviously an extra time, it got a bit cagey. 
uh, nobody wanted to to you know concede because uh, it didn't look like there was going to be a way back um, after that. Um, but I think you know this is what we expected. These are two quality teams. This wasn't a blowout as so many of the games this this knockout stage were. Um, I think you know <laughs> just pulling at Luka Modric, how fantastic of a player is he? You know, uh, Perisic with the the tying goal uh, early in the second half. Uh, you know, I just I just think it was a very good performance from Croatia. I think obviously there's concerns going forward with an older team after playing 120 minutes. Now you got to play the Goliath that is Brazil. I think that's a lot of expectations are. You know, it's a it's a tough circumstance to deal with. But um, you know, I think you know they they did just enough to win this game. I thought maybe Japan was slightly better over the course of 90, but you know, again, it was very close. Um, and, you know, I think it's tough to see the Japanese go out just because, you know, we saw the other uh, Asian team in South Korea go out as well. And, and I guess Australia is an AFC conference too. Um, it was just disappointing um, to ha- to lose the Japanese because I think they really brought a lot to this tournament. But, you know, it, you know, it could have gone either way. Yeah, and I, uh, we've been in a few conversations since this game and then the other game that went to penalties around. It's not the best way to end a game and... I don't really see an alternative, you know, we had people throwing out ideas around extending extra time, removing players, kind of like the hockey overtime type uh, rules, but, you know, if you look back at this extra time, there's not a ton of chances. At that point, players are tired, no one wants to make a mistake, so it's it's a lot more cagey, um, so just to extend that, I, I don't know that that really improves it. Yes, penalties are always a, a disappointing way to go out, but I, I don't know a, a valid opportunity like, or alternative at this time then just, you know, score your penalties, you go through, right? Like, it, it's not like it comes as a surprise that people didn't realize this was how the game was going to end, right? Like, this has been the way they've ended games for years, and I, I don't see an alternative. Uh, who, is your, who is your winner in this one? Uh, my winner is going to be someone that I thought was very smart in this match, and I'm going to go with Zlatko Dalic, the Croatian manager. And what I'm specifically talking about is in extra time, the decisions that he made, you know, penalties are coming up. Can you, can you push these older bodies through? And he made the, I think, difficult decision um, to pull some of his best players, um, even though penalties were coming up because, you know, they were just gas. So mm-hmm. obviously Luka Modric came out, Kovacic came out, even Perisic came out. You know, these are three guys that are all probably taking penalties if, you know, in a perfect world. And he had the fortitude to take them out, feeling that it was the best um, to try and get a goal late and, you know, to get fresh bodies down for the penalties. And, you know, they obviously only missed the one. And um, I think, you know, it took some courage to do that. So uh, I'm going to say that he's my winner of the match. You? I think with, with any shootout, when penalties are saved, there's only ever one winner, and that's the keeper. And in most shootouts, you know, as a keeper, you can only really be the hero. Um, you're very rarely blamed, uh, unless it gets to the point where you're actually taking one. As What's we your saw. Hugo Lloris? Yeah. <laughs> but I think, so Liver, Liverkovic, I think uh, he made some good saves. Uh, the Japanese penalties, and I'll segue into my loser here, is pick, pick any of the three that missed. Um it's easy to say when it's saved that it's a poor penalty, but to me, none of them really had too much power. He didn't have to do a lot to save. They weren't outstanding saves he meant. He went the right way. 
uh, and, and didn't have to do a lot to, to keep them out. So I think they can be any of those three. Uh, Minamino's was probably the worst, but I, I like Tacky, so I'm not going to be too hard on him. Um, but his was, you know, stepping up first, weekly rolls it in, and uh, your keeper just didn't really have to do a lot. And, you know, you've already, you're putting yourself behind before the other teams even <laughs> stepped up. So how about your losers in this one? Yeah, I think I'm going to just go with all these people who, uh, the naysayers who, who don't find penalties. Uh, <laughs> they say they're boring. I mean, you can say a lot of things about penalties is not the best way, to, but I mean, it's captivating as hell. <laughs> and, you know, you have these guys stepping up like, you know, we talked about previously. So I just think that kind of just tired narrative, um, largely American perspective, oh, this is a free throw competition or whatever they call it. It's it's just so annoying, and I think if you couldn't, if you, if you, you know, if that, if you were on a TV and during the middle of the penalties and you walked away, I'd be surprised. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, like I say, give me, give me an actual valid alternative, and I will, I'll be willing to listen. And, you know, they've tried things like golden goal to change the kind of yeah. concept of extra time, which didn't work. They tried silver goal, which didn't work. Um, extra time. I, I, if anything, I think you need to change extra time and even shorten it because, like I say, it gets to a point when no one wants to make a mistake, so no one's really trying um, because they'd rather go to the coin flip of, of penalties, and uh, it's almost easier to justify. Well, and the notion of oh, just keep playing till someone scores. Do you know how bad the last – I mean, you see how bad the football gets in the end. I mean, these guys are going to be knackered by the 140th, 50th minute. I can only imagine what kind of crap we would see out there. It's no, just I, not a feasible solution. I did see the one idea about adding extra balls, which I just think would be hilarious. It wouldn't be football, but just keep throwing balls in there. Until there's like just like 20 balls on the field and just one of them's got to go in. That oh, would be... And we also had this solution of uh, just play 120 minutes and if nobody scores, both teams are eliminated. I said, <laughs> that'd be great, you know. Oh, there's. Oh, sorry guys, we have to cancel the World Cup final. Uh, both semifinals ended in draws, so nobody wins. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah true and i think uh that's a very kind of cricket solution you know, you know in test cricket you can play for five days and it's a draw but um i think uh yeah i, I don't think you can do that but it was uh, you know people are trying people were trying to give us alternatives um we'll move on to to our next game which i don't think we need to talk about this uh for too long because you know if we talk for about it for more than five ten minutes we're talking about it longer than it was competitive hey, for. south korea won the second <laughs> half that's all i know <laughs> uh yeah brazil versus korea brazil just quickly off to the races um i think it was a generous penalty that got them up to two nil i know there's talks of that's always given but to me if you're a defender about to clear a ball and someone runs in front of you barely makes contact it's like what's that defender supposed to do like he doesn't even know that guy's there Ah, that's Um, always the penalty always a penalty come on yeah, but you know, like I don't know. Whether it's cheap or not, it's always. I mean, Richarlison. You know, we know what kind of actor he is. But uh, no matter what, that that's that's always a penalty. Yeah. Well, I I was if it was him, I'd just suggest kicking him harder at least. Uh, at least <laughs> at least try and do some damage. Um. But yeah, this hey. game was was four nil very quickly. Um, Brazil looked very good. Korea's defending was just schoolboy uh terrible uh throwing themselves at the ball chasing the ball it's like you can't chase the ball when you're playing a team like brazil and have players just quickly getting out of position because they are just gonna tear to shreds as they did um the second half yeah korea korea win the second half but uh what, what were your thoughts generally on this one 
I think if you played this 180 minutes, I think South Korea gets right back in it. Uh, based on what I saw in the second half. Uh, no, I mean, look, the South Koreans, I think it's a great story. Uh, I do think you have to question a bit of how they got through. Um, you know, they, they drew Uruguay, they lost to Ghana, and then they beat a Portuguese B squad late. Yeah. So is that really that impressive? And then you saw this game, and they just got pasted. Uh, obviously, the third goal finished by Richarlison, which is beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, I think hey, people. Wait, 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 wait! You, you, you've even told me that you don't like him. So, like, let's let's quit with the Richarlison phrase here. Well, it was a beautiful goal. It wasn't just him. It was the build-up. It was all <laughs> no, of it. it was, I mean, it was. you know, it was Neymar, it was Paqueta. I mean, it was everybody involved <laughs> in that that glorious goal. Uh, I think Vinicius <laughs> Junior in the seventh minute. I do want to just point out how brilliant that finish was. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're watching on TV, and it's like, well, he's holding the ball. He's taking it. Tar- and then just the class finish. He took his time, composed, and he just just belted it in the top uh, top netting. And it was just a brilliant finish. Uh, so, I, I, you know, got to give him props for that. Uh, Luis Paqueta, I was kind of surprised he started in midfield. He's kind of more of an attacking player, um, but obviously he scored a goal. I mean, I can't really criticize anything Chi-Chi did. Um, one of the big narratives after the game was the dancing and you know Chi-Chi <laughs> getting involved with the Brazil up for nothing. It's just like, this is football. It's beautiful. Like, I know it's kind of maybe rubbing it in. If you're a South Korean fan, you might not like it, but... You know, it's just part of their culture. It's they're just having a good time. They're playing beautiful football. Just, just do we have to get mad about everything? Do we have to be upset about everything? You know, Brazil just played a brilliant, brilliant match of football. And, um, you know, the the second half they really just really backed down. I felt like Rafinha was the one guy who was trying to attack constantly, and while everyone else, including Neymar, was kind of trying to take it easy. I was a bit surprised Neymar played as long as he did coming off his ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he got taken out until like the 80th minute, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, we saw, obviously, um, Allison came out and Wurton um, <laughs> played in. And so now every Brazilian player has played at some point during this World Cup, which I guess is fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you said, there's really not much to talk about. It was just kind of like a one-sided affair and the last 45 was kind of useless. Yeah, and I think your point about Neymar coming off, I, I don't think he ran in the second half, though, so I, I don't think he put too much pressure on his ankle. Um, who, who was your winner in this one? Uh, as I talked about, I'm going to go with Vinicius Jr. I just thought that was such a beautiful finish. Um, you know, he's so young, and there's so much so much ahead of him. Uh, I don't think he's quite Mbappe, but I don't think he's that far off. You? Yeah, I had the same, so again, we probably should have talked about this before, but I'll, I'll say that uh, fans in general... Um, you know, Brazil are playing the way you expect Brazil to play, which is always good for these tournaments. Um, they're going to have a, a fun tie against the Croatians, and then we're still on the collision course to, to Brazil-Argentina, which I think will be fun uh, if, if they get both get there. But, um, yeah, it was just it was fun. Like you say, yeah, they're, they're dancing after goals, but, you know, be that good, score that many goals so quickly, and you're welcome to dance, in my opinion. Like, let's not get offended by everything. They're not doing it to offend the South Koreans, they're doing it because they're playing really well and that's how they celebrate. So, so get over it. Uh, who was your loser in this one? Uh, everybody who had to watch the second half. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, my loser is Allison. Uh, he concedes a goal. He hadn't, uh, hadn't let in a goal to that point. Uh, so obviously puts a mark on that unblemished record. Um, not a lot else to really say. So we will move on to our final day of the round of 16, which uh, saw our only 
nil-nil draw between Morocco and Spain that went the distance, went to penalties. Uh, your thoughts on this one? I think on the answer, it was an interesting decision by uh, Luis Enrique to um, start Asensio, uh, play the false nine. He didn't play Morata. Um, or for not, uh, you know, so it was a little surprising, but, you know, not completely surprising. I think Morata didn't start a couple of the group games as well, so it wasn't shocking. Um, and I think the problem with this game is <coughs> so often the case of Spain. You know, the beautiful possession, tic-a-tac-a football that they play. They control possession. They make it difficult for the opponent to, to do anything attacking-wise because they can't control the ball. They're constantly trying just to defend and chase the ball. Um, but as we've seen countless times, <clears throat> Spain's just inability to finish. Uh, and what the other issue is they just they, they don't shoot. They're always looking for the perfect shot, the perfect attempt, the, the perfect pass. They they want everything to be perfect, and they don't want to take the shot unless it's got a you know, it's like a grade-A chance. And sometimes you just got to try to create havoc. You got to shoot from outside the box. You got to just try and get a goal any way you can. I just – and I don't think the, the Spanish team kind of has that medal enough. Um, and, look, I don't think Morocco – they had a couple of chances. I think going forward they're in a, a difficult situation, um, you know, with all the minutes they played and, you know, the injuries to, to, to different members on the squad. Um, but, look, this is – you know, the first African team, I believe, since um, Ghana to to make the um, to make the quarterfinals. Um, so I think that's always great. You know, I think it's always great to have an African side make a deep run. Um, obviously, when Ghana did it, uh, it was at the expense of the United States, um, which is disappointing, obviously, in 2010. But what are you going to do? Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, this this wasn't necessarily a shock that Morocco won especially the way they won. They didn't score. They were just able to hold Spain down. But I do think, uh, you know, for the tournament going forward, I think it's great to have Morocco into the quarterfinals. I think it adds a new element, and it's just a question of how do the Moroccans recover after the 120 minutes. Yeah, and I think we talked a lot around the USA not having someone to finish, and if there's a team that is lacking a true striker, I think it's Spain more so than the USA. Um like you say, that's that's what's cost them in this tournament. Um, uh, I, yeah, I don't have too much more. Again, it was a, a shootout that was almost over before it began as well. Uh, Spain missing their their first, was it three they missed the first three? Morocco missed their third, so it does go to the fourth penalty, but it was just, uh, it was over before it began. And again, poor, poor penalties. Uh, who, who are your winners or winner in this one? I'm going to go with uh, Sofiane Bouffal. Um, he got taken off pretty early in the match in the second half, but I just thought when he was on, he just was brilliant. Uh, was really attacking, really gave the Spanish something to think about on the counter. Um, and I just thought he kind of best exemplified uh, what Morocco did in that game. You? I'm going to go with Akraf Hakimi, if I'm saying that correctly. Born and raised in Madrid, plays for Morocco, scores the winning penalty. Nicely, cool chip down the middle just to, to polish it off and uh, yeah, took it nicely. And I always prefer it when the winning penalty is scored. As like, I know it's always fun when the keeper saves it, and like that's kind of more of a moment that people remember. But I, I just like the team that wins to score last and just score, and that that's how the shootout wraps up. So yeah, he was my winner there. My loser, I'll go first on this one. Luis Enrique, uh, you mentioned some of his choices. I might have stolen yours. <laughs> there um 
someone we know described him as a handsome man as he was giving us uh, audio descriptions of the penalties. Uh, I think that was the only positive for him in this game was being described as handsome uh, because, yeah, just uh, pretty much from that first game, they looked like world beaters. And then gradually, as, as Germany got back into their game, uh, and, and drew with them it's it's just they have not lived up to that initial hype and and the quality that they looked like in in that first game that they won seven no uh who was your loser so i agree luis enrique uh but for me it wasn't even really the tactics it's just the arrogance that he had this whole tournament uh <laughs> he he mentioned he didn't know after this game who number eight was on morocco you are the <laughs> manager of spain you, it is your job to know who number eight on Morocco is. There's no excuse. And this is coming after on the heels of the group stage at the, in the last game against Germany. He said he had no idea what was going on in the Germany-Costa Rica game as he was losing, um, you know, that final game to Japan. He didn't know what was going on in the other game. Like the arrogance <laughs> to think that that game just doesn't matter to you. There's no way you're going to possibly lose to Japan. And then in this game, you don't know who number eight is. I mean, <laughs> you, you, obviously every team in the group, you know, you, you know, you're going to play, but there's another group. Uh, you know, if you get out of the group, you know, you're going to play one of four teams, you know, you're going to play one of four teams. So to not be prepared in the round of 16, I don't care where the Moroccans play. I don't care if they play in Guam, you should know <laughs> who number eight is. Yeah, no, it's that's very inexcusable fair. and that arrogance i think is a large reason large reason why the spanish struggle so much in this tournament and you know i had high hopes for them i i you know i have high hopes for losing Enrique, but oh man I, I just i couldn't i just have such a bad taste in my mouth about just as <laughs> just as arrogance i feel like this whole tournament that um yeah i just i don't know if he should be back for the euros i just very discouraged with just his commentary and what he said just uh just incomprehensible to me to be yeah. a manager what have you been doing for the past six months like, you know, just yeah, no. just horrific more than fair but as olin told us he is handsome so he's got that on his side um but we will move on to the the final game of the the round of 16 uh, again i don't know that we need to talk a lot about this game um oh we, we have know. so much to talk about <laughs> well we are both portugal fans now um so you know this is our team dominating the swiss uh i thought this was going to be tricky for the portuguese it was not tricky for the portuguese in any way 6-1 um just dominant uh dominant performance uh again could take their their foot off the gas late on but they kept knocking in the goals anyway uh your thoughts as uh you know the big portuguese fans that we are what are your thoughts on this one Okay, so let's talk about the football team and then we can talk about that other stuff, right? <laughs> uh, just, I mean, 21 years old, from Benfica. Never really played for the national team before. Goncalo Ramos, first game, hat-trick. I mean, that's just, <laughs> I mean, you can't write that in the story, but just absolutely tremendous. Uh, you know, Pepe, you know, the often vilified <laughs> central defender in the 33 minute gets higher than anyone and buries the goal at 39. Um, you know, I, we talked about Ramos, the first guy since Pele in the knockout stage of a hat trick, just as everybody expected, uh, who would do that? Uh, just a battering, you know, just an absolute battering. Um, you know, I think the Spanish, uh, the Swiss, uh, claim you know to have the flu and they were weaker i mean maybe if that's the excuse you want to use maybe maybe that explains part of why they were so poor but i just thought this was absolutely clinical by portugal and i think the funny thing was we kind of talked about before this tournament how this is this this team is good enough to win the world cup 
if they had just if they just didn't play Ronaldo because everyone <laughs> has to work so hard for Ronaldo on offense because he doesn't you know he can't move the way he used to and then on defense you can't press with him so you have to play you know farther back and you can't do what the Portuguese do so well and I think you know Bruno Fernandes played you oh, oh, just a, an amazing he's been amazing this tournament. Um, you know, you could go on and on, but I mean, just you know, at, you know, at the back, I think Ruben Diaz is actually like Ruben Diaz has looked a little uh, negative. I was a little surprised that um, Ruben Neves didn't start this game. He decided to go to William Carvalho. Uh, Otavio started again. I was kind of surprising to me. Juan Felix looks like this is this is kind of what we expected. These are shades of the brilliant player we expected, who's kind of been on Diego Simeone's Atlético Madrid, you know, crap list. Um, <laughs> But this was just a fun, free-flowing, interchangeable, attacking, but solid defensively Portuguese side. I just thought they were tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. Any thoughts? No, not not to add to that. They were they were very good. Um, they definitely looked better without Ronaldo. Um, just so I can give Wales an honorable mention in this podcast, so I can keep them relevant. Uh, you know, it was like playing with with Bale and Ramsey, and you, you're picking up the slack. And it's the same with Ronaldo at this point. Like you say, he doesn't bring a lot. He doesn't try that hard, or at least it doesn't look like he's trying that hard. So then you're almost playing with with a man disadvantage uh, by playing him. And I think that showed by him not starting and and how dominant and and good they looked without him. Uh, if they're not cruising in this game, I don't even know if we see him off the bench. Um, yeah, it might be nice, you know, if a game goes to extra time, you can bring him in. I'm pretty sure he can probably still take a penalty. He's like that doesn't take too much effort. Um, so I'd hope that if it goes to penalty shootout, then that's why where we might see him again. But uh, yeah, it, it was just a great display by the Portuguese, and uh, you know they look look like a team to beat right now. And we've we've said that about a few teams who have then fizzled out. So hopefully they can they can push on. Uh, who are your your winners in this one, or your winner? There's only one winner. There's only one winner. Actually, you could go with two. But for me, based on my surprise level, I'm going to go with Fernando Santos, the Portuguese manager. All <laughs> my life, I've you know he's been the, the Portuguese coach since, I think, 2015. <laughs> Every Portuguese coach, and especially Fernando Santos, has consistently deferred to Ronaldo and done whatever <laughs> he's want, you know, no matter what a baby he's been. And then in this game, after the original you know three games when he played Ronaldo every game to have the cojones to sit up <laughs> on the bench and you know everything that's that's going to be brought on because you knew the best way to win was with him on the bench just a tremendous job of Fernando Santos I did not think he had this in him I didn't think he was going to do this you know this is the biggest most important most popular most famous person in Portugal maybe in their history Everyone knows who Cristiano Ronaldo is. So many of these players have been inspired and are on this team because of Cristiano Ronaldo. And and, and, and then Fernando Santos, you know, a guy who, you know, he had won the Euros in 2016, so he has a little bit of cachet, but, you know, hasn't, like, necessarily been, you know, acclaimed for his, his brilliant tactics, even in that Euro championship that they won. For him to, to suck it up and say, no, Ronaldo, you're not starting because we don't think it's what's best for the team. For him finally to come to that and to get to be rewarded with this performance, <laughs> not to mention <laughs> obviously the the cherry on top being Ramos's hat trick, um, he he has to be my my winner. And I think there's one other winner that I think you may go with. So you. So my, my other winner is Benfica 
Um, we see this nearly every World Cup that some star will come. And they're not always stars forever. Uh, you look back to 2002 when Liverpool decided to sign half the Senegalese squad who did well in that tournament. Uh, you look back to Madrid signing James Rodriguez after his uh, brilliant display for, for Colombia in, in 14. And, you know, Ramos getting this hat-trick here, he's probably put his name on the screen, the, the team sheet for the rest of the tournament. Um, and all that is doing is adding millions to his value for Van Vika. So they are my winner here. Um, I think there's only one loser in this. Um, we can probably talk about other losers, but, but Cristiano Ronaldo has to be the loser of this game. Uh, he is literally useless to any squad that he's involved whoa, in now. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a bit <laughs> strong. I understand, but it's a bit strong. He's still, I think, a good super sub. And I still think he can come on in the 75th minute and add a little something. He's still a great header of the ball. He can still <laughs> get in the box. So I wouldn't go that far, but okay, he's maybe... unquestionably the loser of this match. <laughs> maybe like literally useless is maybe a bit harsh. You know, he's going to go you. and play. Take it back. Play, play, play. I didn't take back Christine Pulisic, but I take those words back. Um, he's going to go and play in Saudi Arabia and. Uh, make a lot of money and not really have to try hard there and just a few quid yeah a few quid here and there um yep. but i think yeah they've they've shown that the the ronaldo era of portuguese football is is probably over at this point point. and the biggest issue with ronaldo is again not how not not him not playing not him not wanting but just the, the way he acts like such a like a baby and uh you saw that uh you know, the crowd is cheering him on and he's trying to hold back his emotions because he's not used to being kind of the butt of the joke. And then he finally comes on. And then afterwards, this is the captain. You're the captain. He's the first one off the pitch. Every other <laughs> player on the team is celebrating, clapping to the, you know, the Portuguese fans that were great, that were so loud. And where's the captain? Oh, the captain is, is walking back to the locker room because he didn't get the start. It's yeah. just... You have to put your selfishness behind you at certain points. You know, it's one thing at Man United to be selfish, but to do this for your club, uh, it's to do this for your country in the round of 16, a nation that has never, you know, has only made the semi quarterfinals three times. This is the third time ever they made the quarterfinals. And and to act like that, I just think is, is just horrific. Yeah, he's uh, needs to check his ego at the door, and uh, it's we've seen that in recent years now. And it's yeah, this this game shouldn't be about Cristiano Ronaldo; it should be about Portuguese football. Um, so I don't, I, I think finally now he's he's not able to live up to it on the pitch that he kind of probably got away with this longer than he should have, um, and now that has that has fallen apart. So before we move into the to looking ahead at our, our quarterfinal matchups, I just want to get on my soapbox for a moment, if that's okay, Joe. Absolutely. So the scheduling is insane. Like, so the first quarterfinal that is happening is Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time in, in North America. Features Croatia and Brazil, who played the fifth game in, in the round of 16. There was four teams already qualified um, for the quarterfinals who could have both played their matchups on the Friday. It... it it yeah, there's gonna be but the way the games are staggered, there's gonna be kind of a one day kind of overlap that you're not gonna be able to make it completely fair. But like at least try FIFA. Like why why is the team that qualifying in the fifth match playing before the teams well the fifth and sixth match I should say playing before the teams that that played in games one through four of the round of sixteen? It it just doesn't make sense. Um 
will it make a big difference? I don't know. Um, we're only talking 24 hours extra rest here, but it, just just do it in order. <laughs> That's the only like. I don't know why you don't do it in order. Uh, yeah, Joe, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. I disagree a bit because um, like everybody who played in the round of 16 on the same day that's who they're playing in the quarterfinal. So like Portugal and Morocco, they both played on uh, Tuesday and they're both playing again on, on Saturday. Um, France and England both played on Sunday. They're both playing on Friday. So I don't like both teams are, even though going into the game, certain teams had more rest than the others. I think like the way the bracket is, you have, you kind of half the teams in the group are going to be in the top. The other half are going to be at the bottom. I just, I think this is the best way to do it, especially with the fact that, um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of two days off here on um, Wednesday and Thursday. And I just I, I just think this is I, I actually think FIFA has this right. I think, you know, I know sometimes with rest because some teams are playing on the last day of the turn, uh, the last first week of the tournament, you know, compared to a team like, you know, Ecuador and quarter who started the tournament on the Sunday. I get that there's a break there, but I don't really see a better way to kind of group it together. Yeah, I like, I understand your like the point around you know Croatia are playing Brazil. They both played on the same day. But like, if I'm FIFA and I want the best product, don't you want to give each team the maximized rest? Uh, rest. So like that would mean your first two to qualify, Netherlands and Argentina, should be the first game. Your second two, France and England, are the second game, and then so on and so forth. Like, I, it just doesn't make sense why you know. France and England qualified third and fourth respectively on the second day of the round of 16 and they, they are the last game therefore getting the most rest. Like I, I just don't get why they don't try and make it at least even across the board and give teams the most rest that they can um, because to me that makes the, the product better and we'll get into it when we talk about Croatia-Brazil. You know, Croatia have just gone 120 minutes and then they're yep. playing on the shortest rest. Um, that that's the only point I get. Like, I, I I think it's fair in terms of like you say Brazil Croatia play the same day, so it, it doesn't really matter who they're playing. But as a product as a whole, um, I think FIFA could do better. But we can we can let that uh, let that rest for now and uh, start taking a look at these matchups. So Croatia Brazil Friday ten a.m. Um, your thoughts going into this one? Yeah. So this is you know the World Cup favorite against the World Cup runner up in 2018 last time around um i think it's an intriguing matchup obviously just from that standpoint my question is just does croatia have enough energy and and, and legs i mean you're asking modric after playing 95 minutes you're asking Perisic after playing over 100 minutes um to get back out there and, and try and contend with this brazilian team that's probably going to be on the forefront that we know is very solid at the back and um you know the Brazilians. We know they they got to rest a lot of the guys in the second half, and, and just mentally more so than anything. So I just I think it's a big hill for the Croatians to climb. They are talented. We know that they do have great skill, but you know especially if this gets into extra time, like how are they gonna survive? I just I just think the Brazilians have too much. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, I think the, the the Brazilians just have more on the bench as well, in my opinion. I mean, they're a deeper squad. Um, they only had to try for 10, 15 minutes of that career game. Um, so they probably haven't exuded too much energy. And, and even then, like I said, they got more depth. They got more quality. I'd like to see Croatia push on. Uh, I think when we talked about who could be the shock of each round, I had them or Japan, whoever came out of that game, um, of maybe making a run of it. Um but watching Brazil uh, to this point is, I, I, 
I think they're hard to break down. I think they've got goals in them. Uh, I, I don't see any other result than, than Brazil winning, but I think it could still be a good game. Like I say, I think the first half especially, I, I don't know if, if old and, and tired legs will play play its part in the second half, but um, it's a it's a nice way to, to kick off this, this quarterfinal. I don't think we have a bad match um, as we look through these, uh, but we will... Uh, do you have a winner pick for this one? I'll go with Brazil. Yeah, we will uh, we'll move on to Netherlands versus Argentina, 2 p.m. Eastern time here in North America on Friday. Um, the Netherlands, like I said, in going over the U.S. game, they look clinical. Um, can they continue that? Uh, they actually played better in the first half uh, than they have throughout the tournament. They've kind of been winning games later on, and they were able to get into the game a bit earlier in, against the U.S., so can they continue that on? Um, I think Argentina will probably be favoured. Uh, I think they're still one of the favourites to win it all, so... Um, I don't think it's going to be easy for them though. This Netherlands team has some quality. They've got some stars. Um, they've shown that they can they can score goals when needed. Um, I think the Netherlands just need to keep this tight, and I think they will try and keep this as as tight and close as they can. And I can see them nicking a victory. What are your thoughts on on this one? Yeah, so I think this is one of the two really fascinating matchups. Um, just the, the styles and and how these two teams will you know set up. I think Louis Van Gaal will set up his team similar to like he did against the United States. Um, you know, they have Van Dyke, they have Ake, they have the Young, um, they're just Dumfries, obviously. Um, they're going to be solid at the back. We know that. Um, they're going to invite the, the, the Argentinians to attack. And I think the, the fun thing about this game is we saw in a large portion of the game against Australia, Argentina's had the ball, but they didn't really do much with it. And then in a flash, Messi scores, right? So mm-hmm. they can easily do that to the Netherlands here. Kind of, eh, don't look great, don't look great. And then just quickly score a goal, right? And look, oh my God, it's one nothing. That's exactly what they wanted, right? <sighs> but on the other side, the Dutch can also kind of, they're going to be very effective on the counter, potentially here. We saw it against the United States. I don't think the Argentinians are going to be quite as uh, naive as the Americans were. But... Um, there is still, uh, you know, the opportunity for the the Dutch to counterattack, and I just think it's going to be a fantastic battle where Argentina is going to have the ball most of the game. The Dutch are going to sit back, but can the Argentinians create grade A chances and finish them when they get the opportunity, or can the Dutch, from their fewer amount of chances on the counter, can they finish those um, likely odd man rushes and more space when they attack can they get one of those across the line um you know can can the argentinians do what the americans couldn't and expose daily blend we'll see so <laughs> um I, I just think it's a really obviously it's a classic matchup you know two teams with such great world cup history um <coughs> fans in this game will be amazing um i just I, this is what this is what i love about the world cup south america against europe powerhouse against powerhouse Con- contrasting styles and mm-hmm. what's going to happen here and I just uh, I'm really looking forward to this one yeah uh, I think this is between uh, this and the England-France game is going to be uh, the, the, those two have the makings to be the, the highlights of, of these quarterfinals um, yeah I, I couldn't agree more with what you said I think the Argentinians seem to have a lot of fans there they've made a lot of noise in all their games they seem to be taking over the stadiums uh, more than a lot of the other teams have so that'll be interesting to see uh, if, if if they're out in the same amount of numbers or if the the orange fans can kind of 
take over a bit of their stadium as well. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a bit of a chess game and it's going to be whether Messi can do something out of nothing like we've seen him do um, and, and just kind of nick it. But uh, I'm going to pick the Netherlands to win this. How about you? I'll change it up. I'll go with Argentina just because I want to see the Brazil-Argentina semifinal so badly. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so then we move on to the Saturday 10 a.m. game, uh, Morocco versus Portugal. Similarly to, to Brazil-Croatia, we've got kind of one team that didn't have to try too hard too, too long into their game versus the other team who went the distance and went all the way to penalties. Um, I think it's got the potential to be a very fun matchup. I think there's goals in this one. Um saying that after Morocco just drew nil nil, but I think there could be goals in this one. Um but I don't think they're gonna have enough to really challenge the Portuguese with how they played in this last game and, and have been playing of late. And uh I see the Portuguese progressing to the semi final. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so I think somewhat similar to the Croatia game, I think this is just gonna be like what does Morocco have left, right? After hundred and twenty minutes, a couple critical players were injured, are they gonna be able to go? Um you know, it's one thing to beat Spain one time, zero nil nil, but can you do you know the fifth game in in 21 days? Like, what's the outlook here, right? And not just that they played 120 minutes; it's a physical 120 minutes, mm-hmm. constantly chasing the ball. I think they had like 20% possession in that game, so it's very difficult when you don't have the ball. And I think Portugal is going to put them in a similar situation, not quite as as much possession as the Spanish, but they're going to be more direct. And, um, you know, they have playmakers. We know that. We saw that. You know, they scored six against the Swiss. <laughs> um, you know, they have, they're have young. They're talented. I'm assuming we're not going to see Ronaldo. And we're going to see more of a pressing Portuguese side. Um, I, I just, you know, I think Morocco has a chance early. If they can score a goal early or just even keep it nil-nil for a while, I think the longer that that continues, that saves them. I think the first half is going to be critical. It wouldn't surprise me if we see a good Morocco for the first 45, um, and then a, you know as the game progresses, a worse and worse Morocco. So can they take advantage and kind of hold on? Um, and if you're Portugal, I mean, we saw the sublime finishing on the first goal, for, um, in you know against the Swiss. So can they continue that? It's going to be hard to play as well as they did against Switzerland. But the bottom line is. These are two teams that we probably didn't expect to be in the quarterfinals, and they're here playing each other, and one of them is going to be a semifinals. So um, a lot to play for, and I just hope that um, Morocco has enough in the gas tank to make this uh, a fun game. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's hard to not pick Portugal to, to win this, but uh, it, it, could, it could be fun. Like I said, I think it's, uh, like, like I said about the Croatia-Brazil game, I think it's, Definitely the first half as the makings, and then I don't know whether the the tired legs kick in after that. Um, who's your winner of this one? Uh, I'm gonna go with Portugal. Perfect, and that moves us to the the final game of the quarterfinals: <laughs> England versus France. Um, no more easy draws for the English. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think this should be, um, and it probably will be hyped as as the game or like the game to watch in the in the quarterfinals. Um, I think both teams, you could argue. I don't know how much they've been tested to this point um, when you look at the opposition they've played. Um, but, you know, these are probably the... You're not going to get an easier tie than this. Or a harder tie, sorry, um, than this. And I think whoever loses will probably be disappointed to go out at this point. I think they both have 
rightly so aspirations to to make the final and, and potentially win the whole tournament so um we're gonna lose a team that that thinks they should be progressing here um definitely no kind of happy to make it this far between these two teams um and i think it, it could be a cracker you're gonna see you know mbappe going against carl walker or whoever they play right back um true like yeah it's uh it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating um Drew just probably messing with Harry Maguire for a lot of time, but like I said, I don't I don't know the French are that solid at the back of you when you got Harry Kane. He's no no slouch. He's our he's our Harry. So um, it's, it's it's fascinating. Um, I think this is probably gonna go into extra time, and then the England fans will start sweating as we near penalties uh, if it goes that far. But I, I think it could be one of the tighter games as well where neither team wants to really make a mistake and uh, just kind of holding back a little bit but then also has the potential for a quick breakaway goal uh, both both attacking lines can do that um, your thoughts on this one yeah I think it's just a fascinating matchup I mean both managers I think are predisposed to be more conservative you know Deschamps and Southgate both former defenders you know they're going to want to be more defensive right but both these teams have such amazing attackers right uh, <laughs> obviously we know about Mbappe um, <laughs> just by himself what you know not even getting into Griezmann or Rabio or you know we could go on and on right um, the ballet obviously Giroud and then you look at the English side I mean Harry Kane Lee in the line who is a brilliant on a counter-attack Harry Kane you got Phil Foden if he decides to play. You got Saka if he decides to play. You, you know, whoever Southgate has, he has the options to be more attacking. Is he going to sit Bellingham? Is he going to pair up Henderson and Bellingham in the middle again? We'll see. I think the back four, we kind of know what the back four is going to be. You know, it's going to be Stones, McGuire, Shaw, and Walker. I think you made a brilliant point. How well does, does Walker do up against Mbappe? If this was Kyle Walker of four years ago, I really like that matchup. <laughs> Not that I like anybody against Mbappe, but I thought, you know, I would think Walker would do as good a job as anybody. But now Kyle Walker in his 30s, is he capable of doing that, right? Yeah. Mbappe is an absolute freak. So, you know, how does Southgate kind of try to neutralize Mbappe? Does he do something tactically? Does he man mark? Like, what does he do? Like, how does he try to control that? And the beauty with the French team is there's other options. So you don't, you know, as much as you have to pay attention to Mbappe, this isn't a situation where, like, Argentina was four years ago, where if you just took away Messi, there wasn't really anybody else to go to. The French have plenty of other options, right? <laughs> so I just I just really think it's going to – it's just a fascinating game. I, I don't really know what we're going to see, how we're going to see both teams um, play. Like, I, I would imagine France would be on the ball in the initial more <coughs> um, defensive. But are we going to get the French – are we going to get the English team in the first 30 minutes against Senegal – or the game against the United States, or are we going to get the English on the last 60 minutes against um, um, Senegal? So, yeah. um, you know, is Jordan Henderson going to make another brilliant run? Like, I didn't even know he was <laughs> capable of. Um, I just, I, I love this game. I think it's just going to be fascinating. Obviously, you know, this is a, you know, two countries so close together, but they don't necessarily have the football history of a English in, you know, Germany or, mm -hmm. you know, you weren't necessarily i don't know if the french who they consider their chief rivals but i don't know if they would say the english um right. but this is going to be a marquee game in the quarterfinal it's all to play for either team could win this world cup 
and um, I just think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I think if I think of France and rivals, I think probably lean more towards Italy than, than England when you think of some of the games they've played, finals. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm going to pick England to win here. Part of that's just to prepare myself for if they do. I've uh, kind of psyched myself up into into dealing with it. But I, th- I think England have got a real shot. And I think I think this the, the winner of this game is likely to be in the final. And I think this could be... Uh, deciding who wins this tournament is the winner of this game. Well, um, what if I told you? What if I told you, right? England win this world. If England win this World Cup, Wales get to make the twenty twenty six World Cup. Would you take that deal? Yeah, I don't live in England anymore, so I don't have to deal with like the press and obnoxious fans. Yeah, so I, I, I probably think it's a lot easier to swallow. It's a lot easier for me to say I enjoy England uh, being at arm's reach now um, than kind of okay. being engulfed in it. But I, like I said, okay. I, I said earlier, I, I enjoy their players. Um, Disliking them is more better. for the gimmick. Um, There's not so, much not to enjoy about their team right now. No, exactly, and I think they win this. Who, who have you got as a winner in this one? I, I'm just going to go different. I'm going to go with France. Um, I think we're going to see a rematch of the 2006 World Cup semifinal between Portugal and France, but uh, I would not be surprised at all if the English win. I think uh, you know they're, they're the betting underdog, but I don't. I think they have every opportunity to win this game. Um, I think it's as basic as it sounds. It's going to come down to who can finish better. For sure, for sure. And before we wrap up today, there was, a, especially in the, the North American world of, of football, soccer, uh, some breaking news today, Joe. Do you want to take us down uh, what went on today? Yeah, so I think there's two main things. First, I think very importantly, the 2026 World Cup. We touched on this last last podcast. You know, there were concerns about them going to choose uh, go to 16 groups of three because obviously it's going to be a 48-team World Cup. Now it seems like, <laughs> shockingly, because <laughs> if they saw how wonderful the four teams work, they kind of, they're leaning now more towards doing 12 groups of four. So like anything, this is still an active discussion, but, you know, and I, you know, I think you feel very similarly. If we could get 12 teams of four, I think that would be so great. Um, you know, yeah, you're going to have some... I think eight third plus te- eight third place teams go through, which kind of convolutes things a little bit. But I, I just think it's much better than the alternative. And I think in most instances, if we when we you know if we have twelve different groups, the top two teams are going to be pretty apparent. You know, the second and third teams there might be a little bit, but the gap between the best and the fourth best team is probably going to be pretty big. So I think it you know you're still going to know you're still going to feel comfortable when you're looking at the draw who's going to maybe be the top seeds in each in each and i think that's a fascinating thing we saw here i'm just trying to look real quick but i think maybe seven seven group winners um got through yeah because brazil morocco and portugal yeah the only group winner that didn't was japan and they lost in penalties so we see the importance of of, of winning the group um right. and i just think you know if they did three teams one team is going to be sitting back are we going to have a an issue where the two teams decide not to play i mean you know, we don't want that. You know, you want all these teams to be to playing for everything that they have. And and like we see in this World Cup, if you take care of your business in the first two games, you can probably rest some guys for the third game, right? Right. That's yeah. just how it is. Um, yeah. And then the other big news, and this is obviously more America's focused, is that in 2024, it looks like that the Copa America might be coming back to the United States uh, it looks like Ecuador is not going to be able to do it, who is the original host. And what this will mean is USA, Canada, and Mexico will all be allowed um, 
probably with three additional CONCACAF teams to take part in the Copa America. So to bring in the Copa America, obviously up to 16. I'd imagine four groups of four and the knockouts begin at eight. And I think this is important for U.S., Canada, and Mexico because they're not going to have any competitive games um, right. before the World Cup. Um, as we talked about with the United States, the most important thing for them at this point is to get more miles against the best teams in the world. They don't play a team as good as the Netherlands that often, and the Netherlands might be the fifth or sixth best team in Europe. No, Getting sure. the opportunity to go up against Brazil, Argentina, Ecuador, uh, not, maybe not necessarily Venezuela, but Canada, Mexico, Peru, Chile. It's just such a deep, fun uh, comable is. And, and just to have this opportunity to bring it stateside, to kind of keep the momentum of this World Cup leading into the 2026 World Cup, I think it could be a real seminal moment for uh, football in this country. Yeah, and I think uh, not as to the extent of the World Cup 94 being in the States and kind of growing the game that way, but, you know, we've been talking about some of the areas that the U.S. lack in and, and to have tournaments like this, more eyes on it, it's happening in the States, uh, it's going to help to grow the game and then, you know, players then, or kids are interested in playing and then they develop into those players that you're missing. Um, I think it's huge and, yeah, as you mentioned when we were talking about USA, they, they don't play a lot of competitive games beyond you know in qualifying the games against canada against mexico you know it's looking likely that the three of them automatically qualify for the world cup so they're not even gonna have those competitive games uh going into the next world cup so to have this and have those those big games on a big stage and just get that experience whether they do well or you know how far they can progress is a, is a different conversation for closer to but you know playing a brazil in a knockout it gives you and brazil are going to try in that they, they it's not a mickey mouse tournament that, that people aren't trying in it's you know you're going to play brazil's best yeah i actually heard a story from uh danny higginbottom and i forget what team in england he was talking about but he said that in the youth levels they would play a 4-4-2 because they wanted two two forwards because they wanted to try to maximize the potential of getting a forward and <laughs> oh, so i think sad. the u.s should start doing that at the youth levels here Play four four two. See two forwards. Get more. See what they. You know, throw more dots at the board to see. You know, because this is a problem in a lot of teams. They don't have a striker, and and uh, if the U.S. could could you know find one, uh, that would be uh, go a massive way to their hopefully success at 2024 Copa America or 2026 uh, at their home World Cup. Yeah, big news indeed. Uh, and that, that brings us to a close here. Joe, just want to remind everyone of the, the email address if, if people want to get in touch. No, who cares? <laughs> no, of course. it's. Uh, we don't need to hear from these people now. It's uh, wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. All the, the Cretans can put in their responses, yeah. uh, and we'd love to go through them at some point. Should we um, should we give them a word to include so that we know who actually listened this far into the podcast? Or... No, 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 <laughs> stop. Whatever they, whatever you want to say, whether you want to you know, rip us apart, everything's uh, everything is uh, congratulated. Uh, you know, we went a bit long, but listen, we have eight World Cups, to t- eight World Cup games, four quarterfinal games to prepare for. Some big breaking news uh, when it comes to the twenty twenty six, which hopefully we'll go through when we get the you know. 12 groups of four, the potential of having a Copa America that'll include USA, Canada, Mexico. And then, of course, you know, your, your very impassioned plea to FIFA, <laughs> an organization that we know always tries to do the right thing uh, to get the proper rest for every team. 
No, for sure. And uh, you know, if you're worried about the length, then then listen to us. No one's listening to the podcast on one speed anyway, so uh, you can speed us up and hear us speaking twice as fast, or at least one point five. Um, uh, well, that wraps it up. Thanks, Joe. Uh, it's been fun, and uh, I guess we'll look to do something after after the quarterfinals, and we can look ahead to the to the semifinals. Yeah, hopefully we'll get it out. You know, sometime Saturday night or Sunday. Perfect. All right. Take care, man. Absolutely. See you later. Bye. Bye.